ten. Dollar. Sports. All right, everybody. Welcome to Ten Dollar Sports. One of your hosts, I'm Moose. Our other host, Mike. Emron Rodriguez out of Tampa, Florida. How's it going, Mike? Can't believe we've made it to week four of our podcast. We, this is the most commitment we've had to something in, in quite a while. I'm so excited. Yeah, ever since one of our Madden leagues. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get into that. I broke two controllers in that league. We all know that the Madden AI is terrible and I couldn't stand it. But I appreciate the call out on Madden. That's okay. Hey. I do I do miss playing in the league though. When I see you guys online, I'm like, hey, I wish I was still in the league. But then I remember how angry I would that game would make me, and I I didn't want to. I don't I want to be you part back. of that. Um, Jay Cutler's been jonesing for another 92 yard touchdown run. Oh my gosh, that the, see right that exactly right there is why I didn't play. I, I I quit. I think that was the the drop the mic, and I'm like, you know what? I'm done with this league. Sim the rest of my games. I'm out of here with Jay Cutler running a 92-yard touchdown run. That was, that was enough for me. But uh, Great to hear from you, buddy. I know it's been a long week for both of us. Happy Friday. Uh, recording here from my man cave. Got a got beer in hand. Uh, how do you feel about these Friday recordings? I, I know we were shooting for Wednesdays. Uh, looks like the weeks have been getting, getting the best of us, and we end up recording on Friday. I guess it doesn't matter too much here in the offseason. Uh you think we're we're good with Fridays, or you you want to go hop back on Wednesdays? I think we just just play it um, by ear because like this week there wasn't really much going on in sports. Um, trade deadline for NBA came on Thursday, so today would be a good day to talk about it. Um, when there's something relevant that pops up or something we're looking forward to the weekend, maybe Wednesday might be a little bit better. Kind of give our listeners some heads up and stuff what to expect on the weekend. But I think you know right now with the NFL offseason, I think we can kind of we have a lot of flexibility since. Baseball, football, not football, but baseball, hockey, and basketball. You know, we do have we have some football. We got the AAF coming up, starting up on Saturday and Sunday. Oh, that's right, and that's actually on our agenda for this week. We're going to talk about the AAF and um, some league rules they have going on that are different from what we're used to with the NFL and what teams. Um, are out there and what we um, what who to bet on <laughs> yeah you know I, I think at this point if we're starting to bet on the AAF I think it's time to, to start finding those 1-800 numbers uh, for gambling supporters groups uh, I don't know if we're, we're ready for that quite yet maybe we need a couple weeks of data to see uh, which of the teams are going to be worth betting on especially since there's only eight there is a, there are a couple of notable players on teams and we'll get into that when we get to that segment uh so at least football is not completely gone we'll have a a couple weeks of football to get us to to college and and nfl uh hopefully in the next couple weeks so mike we've got a nice big agenda we're gonna try and keep it under an hour again we did a good job last week i think we're at 55 minutes what do we got going on this week on Ten Dollar Sports? Hey, this week we got we're going to go ahead and talk about the Super Bowl. Do our little Super Bowl recap, even though it's about six days old, and the Super Bowl it's kind of feels like it's been forever. So we'll see what we can remember from it. That horrible game. I mean, there's not really not, there's not much and, to remember. Not much to remember at all. And then we're going to go ahead and talk about the AFL, kind of like um, 
AF, what's going a- on? AAF. I apologize. Double A, double A, F. I didn't read the stats on our arena football leagues. I don't even think the Tampa Bay Storm exists anymore. That's a good question. I have not heard the Storm in at least four or five years. Yeah, you know, sometimes when I'm bored at work, I'm like, let me think of a random topic that just came to my head. AAF or uh, AFL, what's going on? I think think the Storm folded. I think they're down to four teams again. Yeah, and they won like so many championships too. And they had Derek Brooks as president of the Storm. I remember that uh, when I was a Lightning season ticket holder, they were really trying to piggyback off the Lightning uh, with Derek Brooks, the president of the Storm. But it's a sad, it's a sad day. The Storm, I think, were were one of the original members of the AFL back oh, in the yeah. day. The team sees operations in 2017. Oh wow. Yeah. So uh, we got AAF. I think we got some MLB, right, Mike? Uh, we got some, not much MLB, just basically Harper and Machado watch, see where they're at going. And then talk about some free agency. I kind of got a little um, analogy I want to share with you guys that I kind of came up with. And then we got some NBA trade deadline talk to see you know, where did Anthony Davis go or didn't go. Um, and Moose, I got some hockey questions I want to ask you. Great, and then uh, NHL trade deadline's coming up. Uh, it's usually March 1st, so a uh, couple weeks away from it still, but uh, some activity uh, that's happened even in these in these last few weeks, and we'll talk about where the Lightning fit into this as they, uh, they hopefully assemble their team getting ready to enter the Stanley Cup playoffs. And we got a, um, a couple $10 parlays we're going to throw out you out to get your weekend started. And kind of give my little fact of the day. And we'll go ahead and close it out from there. Yeah, fact of the day is good. I've heard it. Uh, So we can't wait to share that. So let's hop right into Super Bowl talk. And I'm kind of with you there. I know we're a few days late on this. I'm I'm sure Talk Radio has been talking about it all week about the game. And I, I know you and I wanted to do a special we just didn't get the chance to do a kind of a special podcast right after the Super Bowl or even on Monday. Uh, but let's start off with our bets. Uh, first uh, you know, of all, I, I don't want to brag or hey, anything. Hey, before we start, all I right. want to go ahead and give clues a moose a clap here. Okay, he thank you. Had a much better outing than I did. I walked away with absolutely zero. Moose, go ahead and I want you to share with us about your betting day. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, there were some downs. Uh, I was disappointed that Gladys Knight went longer than a minute 49, so I lost a few bucks there. I uh, lost a few bucks on, uh, I think the, the coin was tails. The coin toss was tails. I had heads. Uh, tails so I never lost. fails. I know, but uh, you know, I was going with heads, and unfortunately that wasn't the case. Uh, I did pick the game correctly, though. Hey, you got to be I heads had, up uh, on that. Yeah, uh, I know. I see what you did there. Uh I did pick the game correctly, though. Uh, I took Patriots minus three, which, uh, ironically, they had me uh, chattering or uh, kind of concerned that they might not even cover that with the game being three nothing half uh, for like three fourths of that. I had uh, Patriots minus three parlayed with the under fifty. I don't know what it was fifty six. Uh, so we were way below fifty six, thankfully. And that ended up paying a pretty pretty decent deal. And then I threw a, I did a teaser on that as well, where I won another sixty or seventy dollars. My greatest accomplishment, though, and what I was most excited for was the Gatorade color. 
won $40 off of it being blue. I was really excited when they finally showed the highlight of it being dumped on on uh, Bill Belichick. As soon as the blue came out, I was like, yes, what a great day. And uh, fortunately uh, for Mike, uh, not hitting on anything. Uh, but I think I was really sad that I didn't hit on uh, – I, I can't believe I didn't put any money on, on Julian Edelman for MVP. I, I think I went basically everyone else. I was hoping Gronk would have a little love. I had a, a little bit. I threw some money at Sony Michelle, who was actually pretty close, scoring the only touchdown of the game. But, uh, I mean, Julia, Julian Edelman far and away MVP of that game. You think so? You don't think? Do you think it should have stayed with Julian Edelman? Because I was kind of leaning towards somebody on the New England's defense. You know, New England's defense had a spectacular game. Uh, I think it was really helped by that the the Rams were hot, hot garbage on offense, and Jared Goff proved again, what, uh, made me feel better about how I felt about him most of the year. Uh, you had Gilmore least... making the interception and blocking that one play that Brandon Cook should have had. Oh, but and they then had... you had McCourty from 20 yards away catching up to Brandon Cook and knocking the ball out of his hand. That's two touchdowns to the defense. That was a save. game changer. I'll give you that. But I was and really impressed Hightower by with all the pressure it was bringing up on front seven. Goff. Absolutely, the front seven. You had some action from the from the linebackers. Van Noy was in Goff's face almost every play. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I've never seen a New England defense play like that. Usually, we're talking about Tom Brady and the offense and how they out. You know, they they score just enough to win. But the New England defense came to play. I don't think they were prepared. I think it's just Bill Belichick being and his experience outshining a, a newcomer like Sean McVay. You know, I have a question for you, and with especially with a few of uh, we, we've talked about how the assistant coaches for New England leave New England, and they just—it's very rare for them to have success. Uh, how do you think about what do you think about uh, Brian Flores uh, being hired? Miami head coach, do you, how much of a role did do you think that he had in this defensive performance and and New England's defense in general this year? Yeah, that's something that's been they've been talking about on sports radio a lot. Um, Brian Flores, this was his first year as defensive coordinator. As we know, Matt Patricia went to the Lions after leaving this um, past season. Well, the season before this one. Um, so this is still Belichick's defense. I. It's, I'm really hard to give Brian Flores a lot of credit. Um, yeah, he was defensive coordinator. I'm sure he's calling plays. But at the end of the day, we know that Bill Belichick runs his defense. So I, I, I'm i just not too sold on Brian Flores at the moment. Maybe he can prove me wrong while being in Miami. Um, but does Miami really need a defensive-minded coach? I mean, they seem to have a pretty good defense last year. Offensive quarterbacks where they struggle the most. Um, hopefully he can find the right match at offensive coordinator to help develop whatever quarterback they go with. But it's hard for me to, you know, give the seal of approval on Brian Flores when he's only been defense coordinator one year. At the end of the day, it's still Belichick's defense. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, again, just on the premise that most of these assistants have not had success at the head coach level. level. I mean, I would say Bill O'Brien's had some defense, decent okay. success. I mean, I'll he give him had- that. Yeah, he hasn't had, you know, he finally, finally in his, what season's he in, almost 10 years at Texans, if that, maybe like seven or so, he finally got a quarterback into Sean Watson, and you saw how much more effective they were. 
but at the end of the day, they, they can't win a playoff game. That, that they've won the division at least two years in a row, and it, it's always they're always in the mix for it. And it's whenever the playoffs come, it, it, they find a way to shut down. Or yeah, absolutely. So kind of going off of well, that. they did win the playoffs. Actually, was it two seasons ago they won the playoff game? They beat um, the Raiders. Okay, yeah, they, but they then, beat Connor Cook. Yeah, and the but, Raiders. Then, but then they have, <laughs> I think it was one or two years ago, you know, they, they win the South again that typically isn't competitive and they get blown out by the Chiefs. I think if you remember a year or two ago. Yeah, where, they had TJ Yates at quarterback. Yeah, that, fair enough. Yeah, that's right. That's when Deshaun Watson uh, blew out his knee. You're right. Good call, TJ, TJ Yates uh, quarterback. Uh, so that makes sense. So, Moose, going back to the Super Bowl game here, who are you putting more blame on, Sean McVay or Jared Goff? Uh, that's that's a tough one. I I just don't know. Uh, I think some blame goes to both, of course. I, I don't know. I mean, Jared Goff should be playing better as a third-year player than what he did. I mean, I know it's a big stage, you know, you had a, a shirtless performer at halftime with uh, the lead singer of Maroon 5. Lots of distractions. But at the end of the day, you got to be playing better as a third-year quarterback where you're the franchise guy, where where they changed the coach for you, got rid of Jeff Fisher and got Sean McVay in there. They're, they're, they've provided you with all these weapons. You have the arguably the best running back in the league, which uh, – We'll talk about that in a few moments on what happened to that guy. Uh, I, I just I just don't know. I mean, other than I guess he could use better receivers. I mean, Brandon Brandon Cooks isn't someone to you know to scoff at. Uh, so uh, I don't know. I, I put some of the blame on on Jared Goff. Some of that's inexperience. But then again, the NFL is a tough business. You you can never say that you're going to get back to the Super Bowl. That these are, I think the NFL is one of the sports, or football is one of those sports where you might only get one chance in your lifetime, especially as a quarterback or or in a position where you can get hurt. Yeah, ask Dan Marino that. He was one. He was one, one Super Bowl and never made it back. But in my opinion, I'm going to put most of my blame here on Sean McVay. He, I don't feel that he put Jared Goff in the best positions to succeed. I mean, do you, do you think he was just being cocky, like really enjoying all this attention? And oh yeah, I'm the I'm the protege. I, I have my own uh, I have my own coaching tree now. Everyone's trying to find the next Sean McVay. He doesn't come off as a as somebody like that. I just think he came in there just inexperienced. Thought he can, you know, hand the um, put the ball in Goff's hand to win the game, um, and the whole Todd Gurley thing. Like he needed, he needed Gurley out there for I, more than you twelve know, carries. I, I, he, I, you know, and we'll talk about that when we get there. I still don't understand that. I don't know if there's some lies going on or withholding of information on the injury report. Uh, that still baffles me that we're going to go with, uh, you know, an arguably overweight C.J. Anderson versus a guy you signed to a multi-million dollar deal to be your franchise running back. Anyway, continue on about McVay and, and coaching. I just feel like if you didn't watch the game and I told you, Hey, the Rams held the Patriots to only 13 points. 
I think you're going to assume that the Rams won that game. So I just think that McVay did not put Goff in the best position. Uh, I mean, I mean, Goff was without his, you know, Gurley number one decoy, number one weapon on that Rams offense. And he was also without Cooper Cup, who, you know, got hurt earlier in the year, which was one of his go-to guys. So in my opinion, it was the play calling. Um, the offensive line did struggle a little bit, which they've actually been one of the better offensive lines in the league, very underrated. But I'm putting on McVay for not putting Goff in the situation to to succeed. And, I mean, Goff, I'm not going to say he's clean. I mean, he did struggle and play as well as he should have. But he's still a young quarterback, um, very inexperienced. Like we said, he's in his third year. I want His third year, but I want to say technically is his second year as a true starter and true part of this team. So, I mean, he just needed to be in a better position to win the game. So I'm going to blame that on coaching. But I, I don't know. I just, I feel Jared Goff couldn't make a two yard throw half the time. Uh, I believe he passed 50% uh, for the game. It, you know, Sean McVay until, you know, until the end of the game, wasn't asking him to make 50 yard throws. I mean, he was struggling making basic five, 10 yard throws to get first downs. Uh, so that's yeah, my. He had to make a throw with a defender in his face each time. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I see your point there that that's not necessarily his fault, but that's what he gets paid to do, and what he's hopefully going to get paid to do in the next year or two when he gets his big boy contract is to make to get away from that and throw balls where they're supposed to be. I I, I don't know. I I, I just, I'm still putting it on coaching. I think he was not in a position to succeed. Fair enough. We'll agree to disagree on that one. Uh, let's move on to the other side of the offensive ball. Uh, of course, Brady. And not, Brady honestly didn't have the greatest did game. Did not either. have a great game. I think he, he only was passing 60%. Uh, I think one of the the bets online were, were any of the quarterbacks going to be thrown for 400 yards in this game. And you gave me a hard time for saying no. Uh, I, I said, no, I don't think either quarterback's going to throw for 400 yards. Uh, Brady only threw for 262, it looks like. Uh, yeah, which is very low because he's thrown like close to f- closer over 400 in the last four Super Bowls yeah. he's played in. And, I mean, first pass of the game intercepted. It really looked like the Rams were going to be in business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so now that Brady won this Super Bowl, I mean, are you putting him as the undisputed GOAT? Greatest of all time? When you're saying GOAT, like greatest of all time in, in football or sports in general? Uh, greatest, you can either say greatest athlete of all time or the greatest football player of all time. I'm going to put him at greatest athlete of all time. And I, let me tell you why. He's equaled Michael Jordan's six championship rings. In a sport that is arguably much more physical and dangerous, he's had a great coach, just like Phil Jackson is arguably one of the greatest basketball coaches to exist in all time. But again, he does it he does it in a different style with, with almost no supporting cast for most of his championships. It's been the Tom Brady show, and he finds a way to get it done, plays in this great system with Bill Belichick, and he's doing it. He's 40, 41 years old, and he's still doing it. He's going to keep playing. I, I don't think there's any question, especially if he can find a way to win one more championship in this next one or two years that's left in his career. 
greatest athlete of all time. I mean, it's very hard to say the greatest athlete of all time. I mean, the guy throws the football pretty well and he's smart. But when I think of athlete, I think of somebody who is a physical athlete. Um, I, I mean, I can't argue with Tom Brady being the greatest football player of all time, you know, based on everything. You just so are said. you saying that avoiding 300 pound men wanting to end your career for the past 18 years, that's not athletic? Yeah, he's had a great offensive line to do it. For all 18 years. Yeah, roughly. Hmm. And then he's got your little 10 out passes because he's always had, um, you know, good slot receivers, Wes Welker, Edelman, and. I'm sure if we go back down, Dion Branch. So, I mean, he's gotten the bread of the ball. I mean, I'd say he's a very smart athlete. I would say he's definitely smart. Um, He does his homework. He works harder than probably any of these other athletes. But I'd say he is the best football player of all time. I just can't say the greatest athlete of all time. So then who's the greatest athlete? Are you you going to go with Jordan? I am not. I am not going to go with Michael Jordan. Interesting. All right. So who is the greatest athlete of all time? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> Can't tell you why? <laughs> I, I don't need, uh, Go ahead. I mean, all, all I can think about is, uh, you know, him, his uh, co-pilot seen an yeah, airplane. But go, go ahead and tell me why Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the greatest athlete of all time. Six NBA championships, same as Jordan and Brady. Okay. Three NCAA championships. Okay. More than Brady and Jordan. Where did combined. Kareem play? He played was he a UCLA? A UCLA. Yeah, he was on UCLA. I remember that. UCLA. He had six NBA MVPs. Brady has how many MVPs at Four? I know Edelman won this one. This is his well. You mean like Super Bowl, like like Finals MVPs? Yeah, Super Bowl MVPs. Yeah, I think Brady has. We'd have to look that up. At least three. I want to say four because Dion Branch won one and Edelman yeah. won one. Okay. Um, how many NFL MVPs does Brady have? Because Jordan has five NBA MVPs. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has six. And then NCAA MVPs. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has three. He got it every year he played. He got three times NCAA Player of the Year, three times NCAA Tournament MVP, and then he's got he's been elected to nineteen All Star games. Number eleven, um, he's been selected eleven times for NBA All Defensive Team, fifteen times All NBA um, Team, and then he scores more points than Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan had roughly about thirty two career thousand points. To Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's close to 39,000 points. And he pretty much beats Jordan almost every single statistical category as well. Well, you know, you make a great argument there. I mean, those those UCLA Bruins, I mean, that was an an amazing team. I mean, they they won 80-something games in a row. So what I'm saying is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar dominated when he was in college. He was, like I said... He won a championship three years, MVP all three years. In the NBA, he won six championships. So anywhere Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was, he dominated, whether it was college or basketball or NBA, I mean. 
So that's why I would put Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He might not be as flashy. He doesn't wear like maybe he doesn't wear like a cool earring. and doesn't have his own shoe, and maybe he doesn't have his own cool little diet plan. And it's not married to a supermodel. But you got to put Kareem Abdul-Jabbar up there for goat. Yes. Wow, you know those are all great points. I I think uh, we'll have to talk maybe another time about what does what do eras look like and. You know, number of teams and and that just athletes in general. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar didn't have a three-point line when he played either. Okay. I mean, I, I can see where you're coming from, but I I think the eras are different, and we might have to try and find a way to compare apples to apples in terms of you know how many teams were in the NBA versus what the NFL now uh, just how athletic everyone else was in comparison. I don't know. That's a great conversation maybe for another day. Uh, so we'll leave that one also unresolved. Agree to disagree. Uh, Brady versus uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I was not expecting you to go that way. That uh, I'm pretty impressed by that. Uh, so kind of moving into that, uh, Tom Brady did not win the MVP this year, but it was Dark Horse Julian Edelman who I did not pick to be my MVP, unfortunately. I think one of the big questions that still remain, uh, I think there's no question that Julian Edelman always finds a way to be a postseason performer, but is he a, is he worthy of the Hall of Fame? Uh, this has been a debate that I've been listening to a lot here on the radio and on television. And, I mean, you got, it just depends what's your definition of Hall of Fame. Um, if you want to base it on the regular season and then if you just want to look at a regular season wise and then eh, probably not um as he needs to look at his career stats i found earlier this guy's played since about let me see how many seasons here played about nine ten seasons in the nfl he he was injured for a year, so he did not play in 2017 uh, heck for this year he started out with a four game suspension and that that's 20 games right there and, and he didn't play in the postseason last year either, but he has about 50, regular season stats. He has about 5,400 receiving yards and 30 touchdowns in about 10 years, which breaks down to what, 500, let's just say 54, 540 yards, receiving yards a season, three touchdowns a year. So, yeah, that's not too impressive of a stat line. No, that's that's definitely not how However, Hall of Fame numbers. If you want to look at his postseason career, he is actually number two statistically greatest playoff receiver of all time behind Jerry Rice. Yeah, but when you play in eight or nine playoff seasons, I mean, it's pretty easy. Uh, I'm curious how, I mean, how many playoff seasons did Jerry well, Rice play in? I mean, he didn't I mean, have obviously Joe the, play in those Bill Walsh years in San Francisco, so he probably sure. has. I want to say a minimum, and he did play on the Raiders when they made the postseason a couple of times. So I want to say Jerry Rice has at least six, at least six postseasons. We can always go back and look at that, but I want to say he has at least six postseason minimum. Because he was on this that Super Bowl team that the Bucks beat, and then he was on the one where they're a member, the Tuck Rule. He was on that Super team with the Raiders, oh, yeah, too. The, the end of his career. Yeah, you're right. And then prior to that, he did have about... How many Super Bowls did did he play with? He won four with Montana and San Francisco. Uh, 
I don't know if it was four, three for sure. I mean, he was still on the team when Steve Young took over too. Yep, and you have that too. And you know, Steve Young obviously took teams to postseason a few times. Yeah, so yeah, it's interesting. So let's. I guess if you say they're they're even, uh, uh, they're not nine, necessarily even. A- I want to say Jerry Rice maybe have even played in more postseason games. Or, huh. but you gotta remember, Jerry Rice is also a number one dominant receiver in the NFL, so he's always everyone's number one target. It's kind of hard to compare Jerry Rice to Julian Edelman because Jerry Rice would be compared. If you look at today's game, he would be there next to your DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Joneses, um, Antonio Browns. He was that type of receiver at the time. So I mean, yeah. he's going to get way more targets. But Julian Edelman has actually gotten 105 receptions in the postseason close to 1,300 yards and five touchdowns. And that is number two statistically best receiver in playoff history. So if you want to base it on the accolades in the postseason, it's where, you know, things are made of, things are remembered. I would possibly, and I think that winning the MVP of this Super Bowl, I would say he can probably get into Canton. Yeah, I don't he still he still has a few seasons left, so we'll we'll see where he ends up. I I don't know. I, I mean, it's great that he's had all that postseason success, he's on, but I mean, he's played in three postseasons because he was ah oh, no, he's probably he's won three Super Bowls with the Patriots. I'm sorry, so he's played in a few and obviously more postseasons. Yeah, I mean eight at most, of course, because he missed uh, the year before. Uh, I'm trying to remember when he was actually on. Has he been with Brady all along? Yeah. Since uh, since Brady's uh, second year, I guess is when he made his but first. He was, he was playing behind, Super Bowl. so he didn't really become a factor for the Patriots until his fourth year in 2012, because that's when um, Wes Walker left to go play with uh, Manning in Denver, and the Patriots signed Danny Amendola to be that to fill in for that Wes Walker role, and Wes and Danny Amendola didn't really meet up to expectations, so that's when. Julian Edelman stepped in. So he didn't really step into about realistically um, 2013 was when he actually played his first full season. So he's really only been one, two, three, four, probably about, yeah, about five seasons less to 2017. So yeah, about five seasons. He's actually been a prominent role player on that team. Yeah, fair enough, Mike. Uh, I think you make some great points. I think the jury's still out. But that's only based on five years. I still, I still think he does have time, and you know these next four years are crucial to determine if he is Hall of Famer or not. But based on this current rate, I would say. I mean, yes, I, he is I think I'm, I'm with you there. The jury's still out. I think if he can get into the ten thousand yard range over these le- next few years, I think I'd be, I'd be in to to have a discussion about that. I think that's a crucial number for wide receivers getting into that that five digits if you will ten thousand receiving yards so we'll see how that goes as the seasons go on uh curious to see what what that turns into once brady retires hopefully in the next couple years uh to see if we see uh the the balance shift in the nfl a little bit uh kind of our last topic about the super bowl is the what happened to todd Gurley? like you know, we alluded to it a little bit earlier, uh, how he just disappeared or, you know, were the Rams lying about the injury report? You know, was he really injured? I'm still confused how, you know, you ride 
again the be- arguably one of the best quarterback one of the best running backs to to play in the league definitely in the last decade and for him to be such a non-factor of course other than the Cowboys game where where almost anyone could have run through the holes that that offensive line was producing I mean he absolutely disappeared in the championship game and in the Super Bowl I mean, Mike what are what are some of your initial thoughts on on what happened the only thing I could think of is he's injured. There's no way you hold back. I don't. I read something about it wasn't part of the game plan. That's that's. I don't want to say any curse words here, but that's BS. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's part of the game plan or not. If anything, you put him out there as a decoy. I mean, he is past two years the best running back in the game. Um, so I think he had to be injured. It did not make sense for him to only get like 12 carries. And two of them, he actually bursted out for like a 20-yard run. And then they took him back out and kept putting in C.J. Anderson. Yeah, C.J. Anderson's been good, but you're in a Super Bowl. You, you write out Todd Gurley. So there's something we don't know about. I think that this puts the Rams in a tough position because if he was injured and it wasn't reported, um, teams are penalized for that, I believe. So, I mean, you're going to see something about Todd Gurley coming out and maybe having – some kind of surgery in the next week or two, or they're just going to give him the rest of the season to heal. So it doesn't leak out that he was injured, but there's something, definitely something we don't know. Cause there's no reason why Todd Gurley would sit out that game the way he did, which attributes to Goff's success as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, it's just dumbfounded. It's interesting though. And I think you brought up a great point that Gurley had a few breakout runs and, Part of me was like, "Wow, Sean McVay is a genius. He he just kept the best running back fresh uh, uh, for and kept the game close at three nothing for for two and a half quarters. And now he has a fresh Todd Gurley. They're the Rams are going to pull this off. This guy's a genius. And then Gurley disappeared again from the game. I, I it just baffles me again. I think it goes back to one of our first points we were talking about uh, Sean McVay just being out coached or out psyched. I, I I don't know if he was just trying trying to throw curveballs uh, to throw Bill Belichick off his game, but Belichick wasn't fooled. Not at all. Not at all. And I, I'm waiting for something to come out about Todd Gurley. I mean, something is going to come out. Absolutely. Uh, We'll have to wait and see uh, if he ends up in surgery or kind of just rides off and and is in rehab for for his knee or maybe we don't hear anything about it and it just kind of disappears. Well, we'll see what happens getting into next season. And speaking of next season, I know football season's uh, about starts like in August, September. So we're some seasons away. So we think that our football segments are over, but they are not because we're starting this weekend. Everyone's excited for the American Allegiance Football League. I mean, uh, I mean, define everybody. I, I guess we're we're <laughs> kind of excited because football enthusiasts, football enthusiasts who who love the game, I guess are excited. I, I'm I'm intrigued. I don't know if I'd say excited. I, I'll sit down and watch a game on CBS to see see what it's about. Uh, so what, I wanted what to go the, through. Uh, what's your opinion on these leagues? Like, what is the what purpose do they serve? Because you don't see. The NBA having another league or Major League oh, Baseball, me... America's pastime having a second league. 
Like, what is your thoughts well, on this? I don't know AAF. if that's necessarily like, true. I mean, I mean, technically the MLB doesn't have other leagues, but there's a pretty robust minor league system in in baseball. And and that's what I was leading to. Do do you see this as kind of like the NFL's version of minor league, or like the like the NBA has a G League? Do you think the NFL is trying to have build a minor league system through this? You know, I, I think yes and no. I think yes because I I think there's enough football talent out there. Especially and by the with, way, I don't believe the NFL is affish, um, affiliated, quote unquote. Uh, yeah, I think quotes are a great point there because I think they have an interest in this league and why they're not really opposing it or or, or speaking badly about it. Uh, kind of like how the XFL, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, there's a little bit of pressure from, from the NFL or, or a little bit of negative press on that. So they're more, they're by and large supporting this. I mean, you have some big football names associated with this league. I mean, Steve Spurrier, uh, Rick Neuheisel, uh, even Michael Vick before he dropped out was part of this uh, association of football, if you will. So do I think the NFL is trying to to establish some sort of minor league system? I, I think so. And I think there's enough talent to make this successful to a degree. Uh, you know, we really saw the UFL kind of fizzle out. Uh, I think mostly because they they almost tried to not necessarily compete, but to be an alternative to to the NFL instead of really working to be that developmental system. What I really find interesting, and Mike, I think you can help me with this because you 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 know a little bit more about this than I do, uh, as we were preparing for our show today. Uh, it's really interesting to me that some of the rules that are going to be in play in the AAF are rules that the NFL has been rumored to to be considering. So what it really makes me think is that this is almost like a, a it's a great de- developmental league, but it's also an area for experimentation with with rules and rule changes that they're thinking about. Yeah, and like we talked about earlier, that was my initial thoughts. I think this is more of an experimental league than it is anything else. I think the NFL has some things that they want to implement, but they don't want to throw it out there to the league too fast and fans get backlash. For example, like the XFL back in like 15, 20, 26, I don't know how many years ago, but a long time ago when the XFL was trying out, they actually stole things from the XFL, such as the um, players being mic'd up. That was something that the XFL was actually first to do, which now you go back and every single game, there's at least two or three players on the field that are mic'd up, which is kind of cool. I mean, you can hear how they talk and kind of get into players' heads a little bit. And also the cameras. I forgot. What's the name of that? Skycam? Do they have a, don't they have like a cool little name for it? Yeah. Yeah, that was it's only with Skycam. Or... Well. And the NFL adopted that like two or three seasons later since it, a lot of fans liked the views and the angles that you got from it. So there are a lot of things out there um, that the XFL definitely is interested in but don't want to change the rules too fast because obviously, you know, you got your fans who are hardcore NFL fans. And if you change something, most people are not very resistant to change. So that might get some backlash. So, for example, here, I know the, the NFL has, um, you know, trying to find a way to get rid of kickoffs because a lot of injuries do occur on the kickoffs and what they actually are going to do here in this AAFL is there are actually no kickoffs every team starts the ball on their own 25 yard line 
and there are no extra points. Um, touchdowns will be followed by two-point conversion attempts. So I guess that's, you know, which I know the NFL has talked about getting rid of that chip shot, two-point conversion, I mean, extra point, which they did make the change because remember it was from the 25 and moved it back to 35-yard line, which was actually a pretty good change because, I mean, how much kicks started getting missed? I mean, it seems like an extra point is being missed. Yeah, I game. mean, it, especially with uh, the Buccaneers oh, on, with man. questionable kicking for the past couple couple years. Yeah, I remember, you know, the extra points used to be snapped over from the two. It was like a 20-yard field goal, and now it's a, a 35-yard field goal, which, of course, is lends itself to be missed more often. Mm-hmm. I think they should have done, when when it was on the two and it was a 20-yard, I think kickers should have done like some cool tricks to try to kick it backwards or something like that, just to, because they're not going to miss, I mean. Yeah. Maybe maybe we'll suggest that for the next Pro Bowl to make it more interesting. <laughs> and there's actually, um, no onside kicks will not be allowed in the AAF. Um, if a team wants the ball back, they can attempt a 4th and 12th play on its own 28. If converted, they keep the ball. And these plays are only allowed if a team is behind by 17 or more or if they're in the final five minutes of the game. Uh, and actually, I, I actually like that rule a lot. I think the onside kick, they've been slowly trying to phase that out, making sure that, uh, you know, in the past you were able to overload the side that was going to get the onside kick. Now they've made it almost impossible to convert. We saw the conversion rates I think the conversion rate this year for onside kicks were like at 13% in the NFL, which was the lowest it's ever been. Uh, so I actually like this. Uh, this is a higher percentage play uh, for those teams that are behind, especially in the last couple minutes of play. And then another top um, hot discussion is overtime. Um, I know you currently don't mind current NFL overtime. I know some other fans don't like the way it ends. Like, for example, I know it was a big debate with the Chiefs and Patriots game here in this past playoff where Mahomes never got a chance to touch the ball. So in the AAF, games can end in a tie. Each team gets one possession in overtime. So each team will be able to have a chance, starting with a first and goal from 10, and they may not kick field goals. Yeah, that's interesting. It kind of reminds me of high school football over time, if I remember correctly, at least in the state of Florida. Yeah, it's first a goal from 10. You're allowed to kick field goals, but I just don't like that. I feel like it's gimmicky. It's I feel like it's almost the equivalent of penalty kicks for uh, for soccer, where it's like not really a great way to solve it. I I still like the NFL overtime. If you have an NFL defense, they should be able to stop a team from going tw- from going seventy five yards down the field to score a touchdown. I mean, I think it's it's as simple as that. Right. And then the games will be a little bit shorter, which I, I think the games are fine where they're at now. I mean, when you go to a game, you want to be there for three or four hours. You know, you book your whole Sunday for it. You know, you're out there having a good time. But the games will be shorter, but not by much. I mean, there are no TV timeouts. And there were oh, I like that. <laughs> and then there's a 35 second play clock compared to the NFL's current 40 second play clock. And then this one is one that New Orleans fans, in hindsight, would be very excited about. Um, the officiating crew will have nine members, and the ninth member is the Sky Judge. He will be in the press box, 
and he has the power to correct errors during the game relating to player safety and pass interference, specifically pass interference. I like that. In the final five minutes of a game. So I, I do like that. It's I like that it's the, during the final five minutes of the game. I wish it was more, eh, I guess five minutes is fine. Uh, but I do like that's not the entire game because, like I was saying in the last podcast, if you're if you have this guy judge there watching every single TV angle we're watching at home, they can find a penalty on every single play. I mean, they can find a holding, a pass interference. They can find something every time on every play. So I do like this. Sure, uh, I, I I think that's a good happy medium. I still think the college game does it a little bit better. I mean, not in terms of penalties. Penalties typically aren't review other than tar- aren't up for review other than targeting, but. Almost every play is up for review in the college game. If there's anything questionable, the ref is getting a call. He's calling for, hey, this play is under review. And 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 college is getting it right. So, so I, I, I don't understand what's the hesitance. I know we want to trust these professional referees. We're paying them big bucks to make the right calls. But th- with the technology that's available, there's no reason why, like, the AAF is doing is having that eye in the sky to be like, Hey, you might've not gotten this right. I had a different angle. Let's take a look at this yeah. together. I, I, I don't understand. And I'm glad this is being done because maybe this is the gateway for the NFL to, to really implement. And I, this. and I just realized that some of these games are going to, well, CBS has a contract with them. So a lot of games, the title game will be on CBS, but a lot of games are actually on NFL network, which is an NFL owned channel. So, this could be an experimental league if the NFL, if this could be on the NFL network, the NFL's could be looking into it. So that's a great point. So a uh, couple of big games over the weekend. Uh, we'll, we'll quickly go over some of the key players here. Uh, I think the number one team, according to preseason rankings, the Arizona Hotshots with their coach Rick Neuheisel, one of their key players being uh, uh, QB Trevor Knight. Uh, our hometown team, if you will, the Orlando Apollos, coached by the old ball coach Steve Spurrier. A uh, couple of key players there, Garrett Gilbert, Stephen Morris, Frankie Hammond. Uh, USF player, uh, B, or, uh, BJ Daniels, or was he yeah, FSU? BJ Daniels, he beat FSU when he was on USF. Yeah, he beat FSU. He's a big USF, former USF QB, BJ Daniels, Salt Lake Stallions. And if uh, we're still kind of debating if Josh Johnson's playing for the San Diego fleet or not, Uh, we were looking at some information that was written as of yesterday and they're still claiming that Josh Johnson's going to play for San Diego. I don't know if he is uh, given that he was given a contract and the Redskins are interested in keeping him. Uh, So those are some of your, and you also got Trent Richardson, Uh, Zach Birmingham iron. Trent Richardson is still playing some football. I was surprised to see Zach Stacy, who saved me a time or two in fantasy football like five years ago. And Matt Asiata. Correct. Another another fantasy football favorite running back uh <laughs> uh waiver wire pickup. And when um when what's his name? Adrian Peterson got hurt. He was your he was your handcuff. That was the guy. Uh, so we're excited for that. Uh, I don't know if we're going to be wagering on that just yet. We're going to let a couple weeks go by, collect some data, and maybe maybe we'll have some AAF picks for you in like episode seven or eight. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think we're ready to make some picks on uh, 
on the AAF quite yet. Got uh, about 15 minutes left to go in the but show. The good thing about the AAF is that it seems yeah. like there are some players that we are familiar with their names, so it's not going to be too hard to watch. There's not going to be no he hates me or anything like that. I didn't mind he hate me, man. Rod Smart, bring back, bring back the custom jerseys. He hate me. Got 15 minutes left in the show, just about. So we'll quickly go through some MLB and NBA action. Uh, you know, we're still waiting for the Har- the Harper and Machado watch. Still no activity there. No, no real big news, which for me is kind of surprising. Pitchers and catchers report in the next week or so uh, to most spring training sites. And these guys still don't have a contract. I-, I think hopefully this is the week that it gets done. I don't imagine these guys not going to spring training. Uh, I think they're just trying to wait on the other guy because whatever deal Harper gets, Machado's going to ask for a dollar more. Whatever um, deal Machado gets, Harper's going to ask for a dollar more. And since you got these two big names in baseball, still somewhat young, and these two are sh- most likely to be the highest paid players, I think they're just waiting on the first one to budge, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I think I agree with you there. Uh, there's been some activity. I think we we talked about it last week, how uh, Harper is rumored for sure to be going to the Phillies. Still hasn't been finalized. Machado has been linked to the White Sox and, and potentially the Phillies as well. I mean, Padres are another Padres. The Padres came out of nowhere uh, as they're trying to rebuild and, and be a factor again in baseball. They've had a couple down years. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, again, I... I just don't think the the ROI on these free agents is there. Uh, I, I know you had some thoughts on really just free agent signings in general in baseball. And even in football, we've talked about we couldn't really think of any too many free agent signings that worked out in either sport. I think the big exception being J.D. Martinez in Boston basically being yeah he had a great the year. only success recently. I mean, tell me what you think about these deals, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to these free agency big contracts, I mean, yeah, J.D. Martinez was an anomaly, but go back and just look at all the – look at your Carr Crawfords, your B.J. Uptons, your Josh Hamiltons. I mean, these never pan out, so it's almost not worth it. I I rather – you know, like you said earlier, I mean, signing Harper and Machado, that's 15% of your payroll right there. So before you hit the luxury tax, of course, but it's just not worth it. I'd rather have some younger guys like what I was discussing to you earlier. Like to me, the way I see free agents, I see free agents as a used car lot. You know, you have your teams like, let me, let's use the Rays since, you know, we're Tampa fans, you know, the Rays, I feel like they go out there, they get the brand new player, like your car Crawford when he's young, your BJ Upton's. Evan Longoria's, David Price, all those players, when they're young, they lease them for like three or four years. So it's like you're leasing a car, you're getting it's like brand new, you're getting the best value out of it, you're getting the best years of it. And then now they, it's time to turn in the lease and the Rays just never, they return the lease, they don't really buy it. And then your car Crawford goes into the free agent market and they inflate the used car price on it. So the free agent price on it, someone comes out there and says, oh man, that's a really nice um, player, look at his stats. We're going to go ahead and pile and They go ahead and they overly play him, pay him, and then you just never get the return on investment like you expected to get. And I mean, which Boston saw that, and then he got traded to the Dodgers and 
just became a backup over there. He just I don't even know where he's out of. Right he's out Maybe. of baseball. I mean, B.J. Upton's another example Uber. too. I don't. I, I don't think he plays baseball anymore. I don't think he's on the team. No. It just seems that whenever once these players sign these big deals in about a year or two, they're pretty much out of baseball. I never hear about them. And I mean, I'm, I know there's some exceptions that when we can go down the list, but I mean, it just seems in general it just doesn't pan out. And, you know, before I used to get upset when I was younger, I used to get upset at the Rays. It's like, come on, man, sign this guy, sign this guy. But it's like now that I'm kind of like looking at the analytics a little bit more and seeing uh, how how all these players are paid and what the ROI is, I kind of appreciate what the Rays do these days. And yeah, no, it's been disappointing just to, you know, I know they try to, <laughs> it was 20 years ago with with the hit show to get us a couple big names, but yeah, yeah, that, that that's that a Greg great Bond, example. Vinny Castilla. Vinny Castilla. <laughs> I mean, it was that's a great example right there. Trying to sign these pseudo big names and free agency not working out. Uh, so let's move on to NBA. We, we had a pretty active NBA trade deadline uh, season, if you will. Uh, with the trade deadline coming into effect yesterday, Thursday. Uh, what do you think were some of the, the big surprises or or big moves that happened, Mike, uh, w- with you being more into the NBA than I am? Um, best move, um, biggest move was pretty much Tobias Harris going to the 76ers. I mean, the 76ers gave up the house and all their draft picks. Um, so they're definitely in a win now. Yeah, but, you mode. know, they, they got those back with their trade with the Orlando Magic. Yeah, I did not understand what the Magic were doing there. Um, trying to think of every possible scenario that made sense for the Magic making that trade. What did Magic give up again? It was like a first, first and, first second, and rounder second round for Markel Fultz, a player who has been a huge draft bust, if not one of the best, biggest draft busts in NBA history. Um, who's still injured with on a sideline with a shoulder injury that he's had since he got drafted. Um, so I'm not sure unless the magic are all in on the 76ers too. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the magic trust they, the process. They also right? trust the process. <laughs> um, Porzingis going to the Mavericks was actually a big move with their young Luka Doncic. And then I do like that the Mavericks went ahead and moved Harrison Barnes over to Sacramento um, which you know opens them up a lot of cap space to be able to sign Porzingis to a long-term deal. So having Luka Doncic and Kristaps uh, Porzingis on the same team for a long time, they might need to find one more player. But those that's a very very good, exciting. You know, I mean, Porzingis probably won't play this year, which he's going to be out. But next year, Mavericks fans have a lot to look forward to and be excited about. How about uh, how about uh, Marcus Gasol over to Toronto? Um, yeah, that was a, that was a good move to try to, you know, get into boost up the interior there for Toronto. Um, so that was a good move for them as well, but I don't think that, I, I don't think that's going to trump the 76ers now have four, um, I guess, quote unquote superstars on their team now. So that's, we just got to see how the chemistry mixes there in Philadelphia. I mean, do you think the Sixers are now the the favorite in the East? I would say so. If they can, if. I mean, they have the names to do it, but it all depends on the chemistry. They played their first game tonight all as a team, so I got to go back and see how that game went. But if uh, if they play like they're supposed to, I don't see them losing the East. I really don't. 
big news, of and, course, is AD Anthony Davis not being traded by the Pelicans. Uh, what do you yeah. think was behind that? I think on that one, I don't. So I read a couple of interesting articles and been watching some stuff about that. I think this was the Pelicans way of telling the Lakers to F off because the Lakers were kind of and LeBron James were sort of tampering with the situation, trying to recruit Anthony Davis. And of course, we know teams are not allowed to tamper during the regular season, obviously in the NBA and uh, with players that rule doesn't really apply to players. So I think the, uh, the Pelicans trying to get back at LeBron James and the Lakers by tampering since they didn't get punished. And I don't think there was, there was no deal that they could have made to the Pelicans to get Anthony Davis. And from what I've read was very interesting. It sounds very like real. And it sounds like it may be a fact is that every time the Lakers made an offer, to the Pelicans, someone would leak from the Pelicans would leak the offer. So, so they, so the players on the Lakers will know that they're being offered in these trades <laughs> and being young talent and being players who you think are going to be good, yeah. you know, in your head, you know, you're young, 20 years old, 19, and you think this franchise drafted you to be part of their franchise in their future. And you find out they're throwing you over to New Orleans for Anthony Davis kind of kills your chemistry and kind of hurts your ego a little bit. So I think that's what the Pelicans trying to do is trying to mess up the Lakers chemistry and try to cause turmoil over there. Brilliant. Which, brilliant game planning over there on, on I, the, I the agree, Pelicans. So. That, that's great. I mean, the, they still have time to make a deal. AD still has a year left on his contract. I mean, I, I'm not surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if he moves over the off season, or even yeah, it's or even or even next year. year. I mean, the, the, he could technically play. That's interesting, though. Uh, he he was definitely booed very heavily tonight. Uh, his I think the first game that he plays post all this trade demand talk. Uh, of course, him being removed off of most of the promotional materials and the intro videos and all that fun stuff that, that occurs, I guess, when you demand a trade, uh, New Orleans fans not having it. So he's yeah, in for a typ- rough ride the next. Typically, if you think about it, whenever trades go like this, you don't hear every day what players are being offered, what's being offered in this trade. You hear rumors of like, Oh, they could offer this, this and this, but these were like the legitimate offers that the Lakers were sending. Um, the Pelicans, and they're pretty much trading away their future and their youth yeah. just for Anthony Davis. Yep, uh, absolutely. I, just looking at the what some of those offers were, I was like, uh, I guess it, I, I think it's fortunate that that didn't happen, I guess. I mean, I, I, I guess with LeBron James on your team, you could probably get away with uh, losing a few of those players. Uh However, I guess we'll, we'll AD watch comes to an end. We'll see what happens over the off season or next year as the NBA kicks off. Uh, skip over hockey uh, just to to close up uh, with our ten dollar parlay, of course, and, and Mike's factoid. Uh, just a quick note before we skip over hockey, yeah. what you think about those jerseys? Oh uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, if you've been following us on Twitter at ten dollar sports one zero dollar sports on Twitter, make sure to give us an ad. Uh, I was going off about those. I, I, I mean, at first, uh, first of all, I was disappointed because these jerseys were leaked back in October, November 
uh, by the website Aesthetics, which is a, a great resource for, for NHL jerseys and rumors and, and just a big like collection of the history of NHL jerseys, which is it's such a great resource. These were leaked back in October, November by the founder of that site. Back, I mean, they had some pretty negative backlash from from pretty hardcore fans. So I was disappointed that those were the jerseys. I mean, they're kind of growing on me. They're they're pretty neat. I think it's very unique. The sleeves just bother me. It also bothered me that I couldn't see the numbers while I was I was watching the game yesterday. I feel that it's hard to see dark gray on black. Uh, I'm happy they went back to the black. I mean, that's our traditional color. We, we wore black for for almost you know 18 years, if you will. Uh, before, post or before Jeff Finnick bought the team, so it was great to see the black back. Happy to see the big lightning logo in the front of it. Disappointed that they went with some gray gradient on the the, the on the sleeves. Uh, the numbers look pretty cool, but again, really hard to see it, when you're watching on TV. At least, be nice to see them in person to see what they look like in person. But for me, I thought it was a big thumbs down. And you got a ten dollar parlay for us. I got an NBA one. Yeah, I got a, I got, got a couple. Uh, NHL. Uh, let's go with tomorrow. A few early games. So I'll try to get this up before uh, twelve p.m. Eastern. If not, I'll get the picks out on Twitter so you guys can can follow along. We're gonna go with the Boston Bruins. We're gonna go with the Buffalo Sabers, Nashville Predators, Winnipeg Jets, and Tampa Bay Lightning. All on the money line. That's paying plus nine eighty five. So for every ten, you win ninety eight fifty. NCAA, there's a big slate of games, but the big two that I've wagered on to, for tomorrow, uh, I went Michigan, and I believe Michigan's playing Wisconsin. Michigan's minus six. I'm going to take the over one twenty one, and Virginia Tech's playing Clemson, and Virginia Tech's ranked number eleven, and they are underdogs to an unranked Clemson team who has been on a roll lately. I'm going to take Virginia Tech plus 2.5 and the over of 129 on that one. I'm also going to tease that. So we'll, we'll add some points in, in my favor. I haven't decided how many points I'm going to tease that. I might go safe and maybe do like a six or seven point teaser and, and bet heavy on it to see if I can win a couple, a couple bucks on that one. Uh, so those are my NHL and NCAA basketball picks. Mike, what do you got for NBA? For NBA, um, you know, these players are getting ready. These teams are getting ready to go over to the um, All-Star break. So I think they might rest up some players as they get to there. Um, taking the Boston Celtics. Boston Celtics against the Clippers, which they just made the trade. So Boston's um, – the Clippers just made that trade, got rid of Tobias Harris. So they got some chemistry things they got to work out. And I don't think their bench is as good as the Celtics bench. So I'm taking the Celtics actually minus 11 and a half on that game. I'm taking the Hawks on the money line. The Houston Rockets, I'm taking them on the money line as well, minus 125. And San Antonio Spurs, I'm taking them with the points plus six and a half. On a $10 parlay, you're looking at a winnings of $131. Nice. Excellent. Uh, hopefully, they do better than your last parlay recommendations for us. And, no, no. And to, and to be honest with you, I've been down a little bit lately too. I took this week off from uh, sports betting after the Super Bowl. I just needed a break, so we'll get our picks out on Twitter. Make sure to be following us 
uh, $10 sports, $10 sports on Twitter. We all, we always drop some sweet memes on what's going on. Uh, you can follow us live tweeting, usually the lightning games. We'll hopefully we'll get some Rays games and other sporting events that, that are going on. Uh, Mike, you got your factoid. What happened this day in sports as we close out? Um, this day in sports in 1996, um, it was a sad day for Cleveland Browns fans. Um, I guess the past 20 years have all been sad days for them. <laughs> but this one in particular, because in 1996, Art Modell, the owner of the Cleveland Browns at the time, actually moved their franchise over to Baltimore and became the Baltimore Ravens. Part of him leaving, he had to leave the Browns name behind. So he couldn't take the Browns name with them to Baltimore. Hence, they became the Baltimore Ravens. And they were named the Baltimore Ravens because of the Edgar Allan Poe is actually buried in Baltimore. And that was significant to the city of Baltimore. Has and a, has the, the Raven. Yep. And that's where they got the name the Ravens from. Yep. There you go. So thanks for our factoid. Uh, so we'll close this out. We'll, we'll have a bigger NHL segment next week. We're, we're getting close to the NHL trading deadline. Uh, some early moves. Brian Boyle moving from the New Jersey Devils over to the Nashville Predators. That's a big move for them. Uh, and then, we'll, of course, we'll be watching out for who might be joining the Lightning in the next few weeks with the trade deadline. We'll cover the NBA as we're nearing the All-Star break and uh, getting close to the playoffs for both NHL and NBA. We'll do some recapping of our AAF experience and and how we liked that or we didn't like that. We'll go over our picks that we had just now for our $10 parlays. And anything else that happens in sports, we'll make sure to cover it on our next podcast. I expect that Machado and Bryce Harper should hopefully sign in the next week, especially with uh, spring break or uh, spring training coming to start in the next week or so. Pitchers and catchers reporting. I think that's all we have for now. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Mike, what, anything else on your end? Now we'll look forward to this exciting AAF experience and look forward to talking to you guys next week to see what we saw. That's right. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. Uh, this has been $10 Sports. It's been Moose and Emrod live and in stereo. We'll see you next week. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, $10 Sports, $10 Sports. And on our website, 10, like the word T-E-N, dollarsports.com. It's been a great Friday night. Thank you for joining us. We will see you next week. Have a great weekend and good luck on those bets. Later. Later.